You are listening to the Uloft podcast across from two tables. Uh, Is that you're going to start all of them now? Two, two, two. So snarky. Well, welcome yeah. to the two tables of the Uloft podcast. Uh, yeah. So across from two tables from me is Kendall Kersey and Ashley Bennett. What's up? Hi. So one of the things I did this morning is I watched Judah Smith for about nine minutes um, talk about Zacchaeus. Um, yeah. He gave the 30,000 foot view of the Zacchaeus story. Zacchaeus was a, a wee little man. A wee little man was tree. He? Yes. yes. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Mm-hmm. Was it a sycamore tree? Yeah. Well, well, that's, that's what the song, what says. The song <laughs> says. Michael's about to go all King James, but it doesn't <laughs> say that. Um, and then, so then he's, he wants to get a better look at Jesus, but he's short, so he can't see over the crowd. So he climbs the tree. Jesus announces him by name and says that he must stay at his house tonight. And so then that's what happens. And somehow in the context well, he doesn't have of, a sleepover. Like he, well, he shares, he goes, yeah, he, he goes, goes over. Yeah. Yeah. So doesn't stay there. I the think. way you made it sound like that. <laughs> slumber party. I got to build a for a pillow for with you, dude. It has to happen. I would love that. That's a great idea. Maybe they did. We don't know. Pillow forts to Jesus. <laughs> that's what yeah. this one's going to be called. There you go. That's oh the gosh. title. <laughs> uh, so he dines with Zacchaeus and somehow in the process of conversation, Zacchaeus repents of his life as a corrupt chief tax collector. And so you can imagine this being a person who is ripping off everyone from the- Your mama, your grandmama, yeah. your sister. All the mamas. Your sister's brother, yeah. <laughs> the mamas, baby mamas. Mother, father, mama, sister, mamas. brother. Yeah. Yeah, so he's doing all of that, and um, and then when he repents, he, uh, I think he he doubles the rule. There's a law in Leviticus that talks about um, paying like, oh, it's like a third. It's hundred and twenty percent. Yes, he multiplies it by four. Yeah, and so he wants to give above and beyond back to the people who he stole from, mm-hmm. and all of this is a consequence of his encounter with Christ. And so there's a couple things we can learn from that. One. A, that Jesus is even willing to eat with someone like Zacchaeus means that he's probably willing to eat with someone as bad as you. Um, yes. And <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and it also means that you're probably not a crime lord. And <laughs> We don't know, though. So, so you also could have a radical transformation um, as a consequence, in short order, as a consequence of you encountering christ who do you think was more surprised to hear jesus invite himself over to zacchaeus house for dinner zacchaeus or the crowd because we talked about jesus inviting zacchaeus over calling him out by name who was more surprised when that happened was it zacchaeus or was it the crowd i mean i'm i'm probably gonna say the crowd because zacchaeus was pursuing interaction with christ to begin with, right? That's why he climbed the tree. He wanted to see him. Like if he thought that when Jesus saw him, he was going to blink him out of existence, then he probably would have been much more cautious about trying to get close to him. Well, yeah, I think that Zacchaeus is probably a very prideful person. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he probably thought like, of course, Jesus is going to ask to come over to my house. I'm the dude. Like I'm the chief task collector. I've got the biggest house and the best food. Probably looking for a loan. (laughs) 
Okay. Wait, what? Sure. <laughs> Jesus is looking that, for a loan. Trying, Jesus trying to, is looking yeah. for, oh, I thought you meant Zacchaeus. I was like, no, he stole no. a bunch of money. He doesn't yeah. need a loan. Yeah, I'm trying to get inside the head of Zacchaeus. He probably saw Jesus. No, I would say like, it's alone. If, if that dude is the top of the top, like in his own head, because I would say like, you think about it this way. You're a chief tax collector. You're also a Jew. And so you're cheating other Jews. And so you're cheating your own people just to get ahead and to have more money and to be better off than everybody else is. And the only way to really reconcile that is for you to be incredibly prideful Mm -hmm. and for you to basically not really care about anybody else and think that you are awesome and everybody else is wrong about you. And so if you think that way, then you're going to be looking for Jesus to actually invite himself over to your house. Like, I think that's part of the reason you know, he came down excited. Like the Bible says that he came down from the tree, like excited. And I don't know necessarily it was excitement from a, oh my gosh, the Messiah called me out. I think it was more of like, heck yeah. I'm better than all these people. Like, yeah, yeah, I can't believe this worked. Like I got up the tree, he saw me, we're ready to go. We're going back to my house because like, there's nothing else in that interaction other than Jesus saying his name. Like that's it. But the crowd I think they would be incredibly surprised because they would all they know. hate him. Yes, like they hate this dude. Think about it like this. If you had like, well, say you know like the chief partier or the chief like. Yeah, uh, Gatsby. Yeah, okay, oh, yeah. there we go. You know that that dude or that girl, right? And you know all their dirty laundry and everything that they've done on campus. And all of a sudden they come in to church and uh, whatever church it is, maybe say you're doing like a spontaneous baptism or I don't know, I don't know what you might be doing. Like you're doing some spontaneous testimony thing or whatever. Anyways, you see them walk in and you see their life start to change or them encounter Jesus. Do you not think that as a human being, you would have some sort of like, who does this person think they are? Mm-hmm. Like what, don't yeah. don't they know who they do? Like I know what they did a couple of days ago. Like, or, you know, they really screwed over my friend. Like, what the heck? Why are they here right now? Like, I think this happens probably every weekend at a church where you have people looking at the worst, quote unquote, the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners um, in their in their church or in, you know, in their circle and they judge and they're like, why the heck is this person getting their life changed? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, my reaction would be to question their authenticity, which is a bad reaction. Like that's one of the things that we're trying to drill down at with this series is um, the flesh, your fallen self wants to react to someone who's experiencing a radical life transformation as, oh, okay, well, that's just for this, the summer. And then they're going to go back to doing what they're doing. How can, how can someone like that give up all of the things that they were doing in order to follow Christ? So it must not be genuine. And then if a person, if you put yourself in Zacchaeus position and like, and say you come to church and you're the, you're the Gatsby of the town and all of the people at the church look at you like you're fake because of that, that's probably not going to help your, your cause. You know, you're going to feel like you're surrounded by people who are not um, in support of your turning over a new leaf. And then you're going to wonder why they're not, because they're supposedly Christians, they're supposedly churchgoers. Um, And then, yeah, that's where I think a lot of the church hurt, some of the church hurt probably starts there, when people try to do better. And then even when they're trying to do better. Mm. No one believes them. That's the wrong way to react to somebody who's coming in to try to do better. It's wrong also in your 
romantic relationships as well. This is something you should watch out for. If you're the person that you're with is doing, you should watch them. And if they do something that is a good thing for you and they're thinking, I want to do this because it's a good thing for this person. And then you, the first thing you do is you remind them of all the bad things that they've done. You're virtually guaranteeing that they will not do those good things for you in the future because you've punished them for doing a good thing. I think, I think you are right. I mean, we talked about this last week a little bit uh, and, you know, obviously they lead into each other with the uh, elder brother in the, um, in the prodigal Prodigal son, like uh, you look at him and he asks the question to the father, like, Hey, I've been here this whole time and you didn't give me anything. And the father's like, everything I have is yours. And then we look at this particular story and we see the crowd and, you know, we have an understanding of what the crowd would have reacted to with Zacchaeus. And I wish that there was actually like a follow-up almost where Mm -hmm. like after he gave back everything, like how they reacted to him at that point. Um, Like, were they celebrating him? Oh yeah, he's doing good stuff for us now. So like, we like him now, but then like what happened after that? Like how did they treat him after the money ran out or after they got back what they, what they were owed, uh, you know, essentially like how did Zacchaeus continue to live? Um, How did he, uh, how was he perceived by the other Jews in the community? Like how was he perceived by everybody? That's kind of the question that I would like to see. And then also like even the disciples, I wish that it would show the Bible didn't. So I guess it doesn't matter, but I wish that, um, we would get like the disciples reaction too, because like they would have hated him too. I I would think so. Maybe Matthew doesn't hate him so much. Maybe Matthew understands a little bit. Maybe Matthew worked for the dude. Like, I don't know, (laughs) but, um, like I would have liked to see what, how they reacted. Um, because I think it's a epidemic that we have in at least the Western culture today. You know, we talk about it quite often. You hear about it quite often about church hurt and people judging, others and um, not realizing the plank in their own eye when trying to get the speck out of someone else's. And so I think this is a very important thing to discuss because we shouldn't ever treat someone like they're worse off than we are. And I think like that's the key in this story with their reactions is like, you have to realize that they, and the crowd has to realize that Jesus is the Messiah for everybody right? Not just for you who do decent or who live kind of a moral life or who aren't quite as bad as the other person. Like Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And that is every single person. Um, And we are all just as lost as the other one. So if we can come to that agreement with one another that we are all in the same boat, we are all just as lost, we are all just as sick, then it really helps us to deal with some of these judgmental thoughts. Yeah, so I think this is one of the reasons why we have greeters at church. Um, As we're unpacking this, I've been really kind of reflecting on it. And on first pass, the position of greeter can seem somewhat superfluous, somewhat um, like, okay, well, if we don't have greeters this weekend, that's not the same as not having a worship team. And there's some truth to that. But I think that at church and in your relationships, you can't get the big things right if you don't get the small things right first. And here's the reason why life is made up of that, which repeats. Okay. So if you were to like, look at the time you spent in life, you spent almost all of it doing small, seemingly unimportant things that repeat all the time, like your laundry or like greeting your spouse whenever they walk through the door. So one of the things I think that you can do to make, for instance, a marriage way better, 
um, is to greet your spouse when they walk through the door and for your spouse to appreciate the greeting. And at first it can be like, okay, well, we've lived together for 20 years. So what's the, you know, we don't, there's nothing special about them coming home or walking through the door anymore, but that's the wrong way of thinking about it. I think that if you look at a greeting as if it is a thing that makes up 10% of your entire relationship with that person, your entire life with that person across the years, and then you say, I'm going to commit to getting this 10% right. And that's 10% of the relationship that you maybe weren't getting right before because it didn't seem important on a day-to-day basis. And so the same thing in church, put greeters at the front door and we think, okay, well, someone who's been coming to summit for a long period of time, you see the greeter when you walk in and you think, okay, well, they're saying hi to me. They do that every Sunday, whatever. It's just, that's what it is. But for somebody who's coming for the first time, who's a Zacchaeus, And then they get someone who greets them and shows them around and they're not being salesy about it. They're just being genuine. Like, Hey, we want you to be here. We're happy that you're here. We actually are happy that you're here. This is why we love dogs. Okay. Like (laughs) really, um, what dogs do when you walk through the door is they're actually happy to see you every time, unless they're like sick or something. Um, and it, it works like it, you love your dog because of that. You could even start not loving dogs and then you get a dog and then you see that the dog is happy to see you every time and is always, you know, very authentic about it. They're so authentic about it that they can't keep the wiggles in like their whole bodies are moving <laughs> Is that how around. we should greet people at church? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, wiggle our butts. <laughs> but that's that's what that does. And so something as simple as greeting somebody properly and actually being happy to see them and them actually appreciating you for that um, creates an upward spiral that is uh, has cascading influence over the bigger things. And so that happens across the board. And that's one of the things I think we see Jesus do right with Zacchaeus is, you know, he, he doesn't take him on a tour of Jerusalem and he doesn't say, hey, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. Um, you know, you can be in on this if you want. He just has dinner with him and he actually sits down, sits across from him, probably looks him in the eyes, talks to him, uh, expresses authentic, genuine friendship, these kinds of things. And it changes things for Zacchaeus in a big way. Well, he and even so, calls him by his name. Like think about how yeah. many names that Zacchaeus had been called by other Jews. Like <clears throat> I'm, can't repeat any of them first of all because i don't speak yeah because i don't speak hebrew first of all (laughs) second of all uh if even if i tried to modernize it i wouldn't put it on here so um but all the all the names that he had been called by other jews and yet jesus stops in the middle of a crowd and calls him by his actual name like that is the first step of that greeting that is the first step of that friendship that's the first step of like saying hey i see you for who you are and i don't see you for what you've done or what you do and i think that opens up the door for that friendship to take place. And I think you see this, really you see this is what Jesus does all together. So like the fill in the blank today is like Jesus is friend of sinners. You see this at the, uh, the woman at the well, you see this with, um, you see this with uh, John eight and the adulterous woman. You see this even whenever uh, he calls his disciples um, and asks them to come and follow him. Like you see this time and time again, that the people who are uh, the worst of the worst and who know that they're the worst of the worst, he calls to them in such a compassionate way. The people that he does not (laughs) uh, treat you know, um, super compassionately. He still loves them because he died for them, but he doesn't treat super compassionately are the people who are super religious and who think they all have it 
figured out like that they've got it all together it's fine they're prideful they don't have any humble uh, you know uh, humility in their body at all they don't think of themselves as sinners they think of themselves as perfect um, mm-hmm. and cleansed and they're not in need of a savior that yeah the savior's coming at some point but I'm not in need of one and I think what you see with all the other interactions that Jesus has with the um, quote unquote regular people is that <clears throat> he speaks to them on their level and looks at them with compassion. In fact, in John 8, it actually says when he meets the adulterous woman, he looks at her with compassion. Um, And like you said, him sitting across the table or lounging at the table, whatever, with Zacchaeus, I'm sure that he looked at Zacchaeus with compassion, that it was a real, genuine relationship that was starting. And the reason why he was doing all that is because I think all of those people understood at their core and Jesus knows at their core who they really were, like what yeah. they really were in need of. He showed Zacchaeus that <clears throat> there was something to him worth valuing that was not his Ponzi scheme. Like that was not the thing that he was, it was, you know, all he was making money for himself and probably lots of other people through this uh, corrupt tax practice. Yeah, everybody so else that probably, was Zacchaeus's friend was probably his friend because he has a bunch of money yeah. and a bunch of power. But that wasn't what Jesus was after, and I'm sure that it was evident very quickly that's not that's not what Jesus was after. Yeah, and that contributed, I think, to the transformation. And I I come back to the the marriage analogy because I think it really works in this context. Um, you had said that the the re- one of the reasons why Jesus condemns the Pharisees and the religious elite is because they think that they have it all together and that other people are uh, wicked and sinners and all the rest. And that's, a, that's exactly what you see in marriage counseling. Uh, that's what you see for marriages that have really gone badly sideways so much of the time. Like in a counseling format, you'll see that the husband or the wife has a detailed list of all the things that the other person is doing wrong and they don't know exactly what they're doing wrong. And they'll say something like, Oh, I'm doing the best I can. I'm being the best that I, that I can be. I'm doing all of these things. And so they have all this, this, they can write paragraphs about the good things that they're doing. And they can also write paragraphs about the bad things that the other person is doing. And so they're, it's really hard for them to see how they can be better because they're, they've got it inversed and, and they're just thinking about the bad things that the other person is doing and they see themselves as self-righteous and self-righteousness is what stops transformation. And here's the issue. Um, if you're in a spot where you, you've, where, where things have gone so far sideways that you're in counseling, you need transformation or, and the other person does like both of you do. And if it doesn't happen, then the the thing dissolves. But to suggest that it's okay the way that it is, is bad. That's a problem. And I think that if Zacchaeus had done that at dinner with Jesus, if he had the whole time been thinking, Oh, I'm, I'm good. Cool. The way that I am. I'm all right. I mean, I like you, Jesus, but eh, I, I think I'm okay. Maybe he wouldn't have changed. Well, you actually see that. Um, with, you know, the rich young ruler, um, at least in the context of the gospels, 
when Jesus says and calls to him, hey, why don't you come follow me? And he's like, well, I've done everything. Like, you know, I've done everything right. And I've done all these commandments. Or no, he says, how do I get to heaven? And he's like, you gotta be, you know, you know the commandments. He's like, yeah, I've kept all of them since birth. And then he says, sell everything that you own and, um, you know, and come follow me. And the scripture is kind of vague, but it says that he walks away sad. Like, and we don't know what happened after that, but he walks away sad. And he probably thinks like, Nope, I guess there's there's nothing else I can do then. Like he almost like just doesn't he's the exact opposite essentially of yeah. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus gives away everything. Says I'm going to give it all 400 times over or um yeah, four times over. And so like you also see um, the time when Jesus is calling out to people and he says, hey, come follow me. And one's like, well, I need to go take care of my dad or I need to go take care of this or I've got to make sure that this is in place and that, you know, um, that I've got all my ducks in a row. And like even those moments, I think, are they are moments of of self-righteousness of I've got it figured out or I've got to do all these things right first and then I'll come talk to you or, well, I'm not that bad off. Like, I know I need to follow you, but I'm not that bad off. I don't need it right this second. I need to do these other things right this second. Whereas Zacchaeus in conversation with Jesus probably was realizing, oh, wow, okay. Everything that everybody says I do wrong, yeah, I am doing this wrong and this is not right. And like the word of God, which is really cool because Jesus is the word of God in the flesh, the word of God, um, first of all, it doesn't return void, so it accomplishes what it was supposed to do. And it cuts through, um, I believe, Hebrews, it says this, um, that cuts through like basically the bone and the marrow and the sinews, like all the way deep into the heart. And so I think that whenever Jesus was actually having a conversation, when Zacchaeus opened himself to a full on conversation with Jesus, the word of God was cutting deep to Zacchaeus's heart and kind of revealing the things in him that he needed to, I don't even want to say get right, but he needed to have transformed by the power of the word of God. And he allowed that to take place. And and, and it all started with that conversation and that understanding of, oh, I'm not as well off as I think I am. This isn't what life is really all about. I don't have everything I, act- I actually need right now. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if it's possible then to encounter radical life transformation, even if you're not starting from a desire for that. Like so much of what we hear um, from Christians who come to Christ like as part of their process was like a rock bottom experience they had okay i had nothing left needed to find some purpose some meaning um some direction and then i found jesus and everything changed and so that's a very very common testimony um for people who didn't start out as christians and then became christians wonder if it's possible to have that happen even if you're not starting from that desire for transformation. So imagine um, I'm like a young college guy and I want to go to United to pick up chicks. Because like, let's be honest. Because that's what you would do. <laughs> that's that's probably what happens a lot. Um, <laughs> wow, I just put everybody on blast like that. But, <laughs> but... <clears throat> I mean, obviously, yeah, where are we going? (laughs) Well, so obviously that's not a good motive, but if it leads to life transformation, um, wouldn't you say that's what Zacchaeus did? Like he didn't, I don't think he had a good motive. I I was trying trying to think through it. Like, does it reveal his motive for wanting to, because weren't you just saying that like, does the scripture talk about that? I don't know. I'd have to actually have a Bible with me. And sadly, what were you saying? Ashley? is this book. (laughs) 
And you have it on your remember. phone, maybe. There's a Bible in this room, too, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Want to go digging? No, so I think that we, we were talking about his motive before. Like, I don't think the Bible is explicit on his motive. But if you can think about human beings and the human condition, I'm pretty sure you can come up with a motive of where he was at or what he was doing. And it's speculation, but, I mean, He's human not beings are human beings. He doesn't seem to be at rock bottom, like, at least materially. Or even mentally, emotionally, right? Like, he has everything he, he needs, quote-unquote. And he's most likely looking at um, this possible Messiah because a crowd of people is following him. So even at the very least, uh, Zacchaeus, who is not a very popular person with uh, his people, with the Jews, um, is seeing this popular Jew walk around and is probably just interested in what the heck's going on over here? Like, why is this guy, why does this guy have such a crowd? Like I've heard of, I've heard of this, but I want to see it for myself. I don't think that he was searching for healing or searching for, um, emotional stability or salvation. Like, I think that if that was his motive, I think the Bible would have said that. I think, I mean, I didn't write it, so I don't know. But if you look at other stories that show desperation from people, like, there's stories that people seek Jesus and they're desperate for Jesus. And there's other stories in the Bible where Jesus kind of just drops into their life and they're just there. And I'm going to say this, but I'm only 80% sure it's true. <laughs> uh, I'd have to go again through all of the, through all the stories, but I'm pretty sure that the people that Jesus just kind of pops into their life um, are the people who are the people that we just listed about, like they're the quote unquote worst of the sinners. Like they're the people who need Jesus and they know like something inside is, is off, but they're not actually seeking Jesus. He just kind of shows up the woman at the well, the adulterous woman, Zacchaeus himself, like these people, uh, the demoniac, right? Like these people aren't searching for Jesus. They're just there and Jesus appears and then they have a conversation with Jesus and everything changes. Then you have other people who are searching for Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood who's like, you know, pushing through the crowd to get to him just to touch him. Um, Jarius and like for his daughter's sake or the Roman centurion, like these people are seeking Jesus for a healing, but not necessarily for salvation. The people who Jesus like basically gives them salvation gives them transformation and therefore salvation through him. Um, they're kind of just characters in the story that Jesus passes by and stops and takes a moment with. And I don't know specifically where I'm going with that, but I think that's a very interesting like study to look at of the people who are seeking Jesus need a healing and they know that they need a healing and there's something inside of them that, that cries out for something is broken and I need you. The other people, however, Jesus is just there and meets their need before they really probably even realize they have that need or before they're really revealed to, Oh yeah, this is who I am. Uh, I guess I do need your help. But something like an encounter with the truth. Um, when you, when you have a conversation with someone, say you're living a life of rebellion and, um, you're Zacchaeus and you have an encounter with the truth, someone, says something to you somebody somebody's in conversation is able to hold up a mirror that shows you exactly who you are in this moment 
a lot of times that's really difficult for people. Like they see, oh, okay, because their their identity is built on this web of rationalizations and lies and shame and all these things that they're suppressing. And, um, and so they think they know who they are, but then when they, when someone tells them, oh no, this is what you're doing, this is what you're up to. And then they, they see that and it cuts through and they actually know, yeah, that person's right. This is, you know, that is what I'm doing. That's pretty difficult. And, um, I think that that can be ruinous a lot of times unless you're able to repent in that moment. But I think it's also important in the way that it's, it's presented too, right? Like Jesus never, he is the mirror. Like he didn't hold up a mirror to Zacchaeus and be like, dude, you're terrible. Do you know how bad you are? It's the like, opposite of what he did, actually. Yeah. And the yeah. same thing with the adulterous woman. He just looks at her and says, where are your accusers? I don't accuse you either. Because just being in his presence was enough of a mirror. And he doesn't have yeah. to tell them. He doesn't have to say, this is what you're up to. You're sneaking around. You're doing this. Like, you're being a thief. You're being a cheat. You're doing, like, they mm -hmm. don't need to be told that. The adulterous woman doesn't need to be told that. The woman at the well doesn't need to be told that she's been with five dudes and she's sleeping around with another sixth guy. Like, she doesn't need to be told that stuff. Yeah. He says it, but even when he said it in the well, he was being compassionate on her to show him, to show her that he is the actual Messiah, that he knows about her life and is still talking to her. Yeah, it's a lot like when I let myself get too fat and then I go to the gym. <laughs> and uh, like there could, the people there <laughs> just in fantastic shape, they could be the most humble people in the neighborhood, but I feel judged just, I feel judged <laughs> just being in there because in the reason, the reason for the, the feeling of being judged is because you're being reminded, oh, you're not as in good of shape as you think you are. Um, you've actually let yourself fall quite a, quite a bit. And these people are evidence of that. Even they're just them being in the same room with you is evidence Yeah, you have to that. deal with that every day when you come into work and that you work <laughs> with me. That's why you don't come into work as much, huh? <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. I, I, I prefer to work from Dunkin' Donuts. And, uh, I think it's important for us. I mean, I know we're about to wrap up, but I think it's important for us with the last two weeks really to, to look at not only with our need for Christ, with our need for salvation, our need for transformation in our lives, but also the great need for us to express God's mercy and grace that he expressed to us, to other people. Like this is, this is a battle that I think, I mean, the church has had to have been fighting this from the beginning because it's again, a, a human condition. But if there's one thing that I could wish for for the church like the big c church to not have to deal with especially in the western culture it would be this whole judgmental perception whether it be reality or whether it be just this perception of oh i'm going to be judged when i go in there or i'm going to be judged if they i what i used to be around a lot but now i'm not around at all and now i'm dealing with shame and people aren't gonna aren't gonna accept me as much like some of that is founded in reality and some of that is just founded in perception. But I think if there's one thing that could change, I would love for it to be that because then it creates the ability to have truthful conversations without the, without the fear of being rejected, without the fear of just be having shame thrown upon you. Like if we could get past this barrier, I think we could, we could all, um, 
be a little bit more like Jesus in that in that sense and look on compassion with other people who are hurting and who are broken and who are sinful and also realize that we are the same person, that we are you as well. Yeah, so it's a really tricky problem um, because there are delusions on both sides. Now, let me explain it. Um, Christians in the congregation too often operate under the delusional assumption that if they don't call out sin and if they don't um, judge, then no one will. And you'll just, the entire church will um, degenerate into licentiousness and um, this sort of thing. What is that? So licentiousness would be It's actually like, a word that's made an appearance on the Elof podcast many times. Why? <laughs> yeah. Because of Caleb. Caleb. Caleb <laughs> what does it mean? The word. It means like uh, sexual wickedness. Kind of like... Uh, you couldn't say that? I like licentiousness oh, better. Okay. I actually was looking for the... Makes you think of lice. So looking for I know, the, it's gross. I don't like it. Well, licentious people probably have lice too. <laughs> what? What are you, what are you <laughs> talking... Oh, get no. on with you. No, no, no. no. Get back on the road. Keep going. And, 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 and they... <laughs> They don't want the church to become decadent, and uh, so they think that they need to preserve the good, essentially. Like, being salt and light, in their estimation, means judging people who are given over to sin. I think that they do that because they aren't, they don't have any faith in the Holy Spirit. I think that they're, they might believe lots of things about the Holy Spirit, but they don't believe that one of his offices is to convict people for sin. And that's one of his feature offices. And so you have to remember that as a Christian, the spirit of God convicts people for sin, whether you're in the room or not, whether they ever meet you or not, he convicts people for sin. So that's the delusion inside the church. The delusion outside of the church is that I should be able to come into a church without feeling judged. That's a delusion. I can explain why. When the word of God is taught faithfully and accurately, if you are an unrepentant sinner, you will reject it. And that's one of the, I think, one of the uh, rather effective sorting algorithms for determining uh, who is in the flock and who isn't, is who rejects the word of God. And an unrepentant sinner will reject the word of God if it's taught faithfully and accurately. And then that's all you need to know for, for right now. Treat them as an unbeliever, as Paul says. Um, I don't think it's a wise expectation to, be, to think that you can come into a church and not feel judged because the word of God will judge you. It, when it, if it's preached truthfully and faithfully and accurately and precisely, it will cut like a sword. And if you have sin in your life that you need to repent from and recover from, you will feel judged by that. And you'll feel judged by the presence of people who are not struggling with that sin. And so there's going to be that sense of judgment and the spirit of God will convict you for your sin. And so you're going to feel all of that as you come into a church, but that's a good thing to feel. That is like going back to the gym. Um, I was able to, I don't know, do sets of 10 with 50 pound dumbbells six months ago. If I tried that now, I would injure myself. So the dumbbell is judging me. The dumbbell is saying, you are lazy. You have not been here. What have you been up to? Whatever it's been, it's not been working out. Look at, look at the condition of your body, you slob. 
That's what the iron is telling me, mm-hmm. okay? It doesn't need to use words. It doesn't need to <clears throat> be pretentious or self-righteous. It just is, that's just what it does. And the word of it's God is the same way. of it though. If I were to go to the gym now and try to do what I did six months ago or a year ago, I would feel the slap, I would feel how I've slacked off for a year. And then I would have that sense of like, okay, I know where I am in relation to the truth because the truth is I haven't been working out. And so I can convince myself that. Yeah, but that doesn't have to be, I think maybe what you're getting at is that have to be judgmental, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so the, like Zacchaeus had that, had that um, revelation as well, but it wasn't in a judgmental way. Well, we need need to parse out how we're defining judgmental then, because I'm not saying, I'm not saying condemnation, but I am saying that this impulse to tell people that they are perfect just the way they are is a is wrong that's, no it's wrong and it's not wrong. it's not biblical it's it's not what jesus would have done but only that's what we're saying though either right so all i'm trying to say is that the reason we judge and the reason people feel judged is because no one is okay with sin on either side so we need a noble aim like we need something that we can aspire towards and if we're told that we are perfect and accepted and loved just the way we are that doesn't, there, there's no direction up. It, what if your life is terrible? What if you're, what if you're like that? That's where it's that like. That doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love you just the way you are. I mean, he, he does love you in that space, but then he calls you higher. Like he still loves them exactly as they are in that moment. He doesn't love them less. So part of love is that is the judgment of being called higher. Part yeah, of, so I think, I think the word that you're using, judgment, I think is the wrong word. Mm-hmm. Like, because... There is a way to, um, there's a way to realize that something is wrong without feeling judgment. Don't like you I think don't think the... that I don't think that, uh, especially the adulterous woman, definitely don't think she felt judged. Well, go and sin no all. more is a judgment. Yes, it, but it's not like a, in a sense. Yes, but we're talking about So this is really important because one of the one of the reasons why we have the injunction not to cast our pearls before swine is because if you cast a pearl before swine, the swine will see it as a stone. And that's, that's where like, what is considered a judge, what, what is considered condemnation has some element of subjectivity to it. If I am caught in unrepentant sin and <clears throat> I have no interest in repenting of it and someone preaches me the truth of scripture and gives me that pearl, I'm going to see that as a stone as a judgment, even if it's not. And so that's where it's like, when I'm talking about the delusion inside and outside of the church, I'm talking about a, what actually is a delusion that, that, that the, the people who come in from the outside, I'm, I'm just saying it's not a good idea to expect if, if you are an unrepentant sinner, it's not a good idea to expect to go into a Bible believing church and not feel judged as a consequence because your subjectivity is distorted by your unrepentant sin and so the pearls that are thrown at you will appear as stones so do you believe that zacchaeus felt judged is what i'm saying because i I don't think it depends on who it's coming from because you're talking about this whole friendship thing like jesus didn't just walk up to him and say give all that money back he was saying i want to hang out with you first you know you're going to feel judged by someone who just walks up to you and tells you to stop doing what you're doing if you're not you don't have a relationship with them. Yeah, because he then 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 he would have no interest in who Zacchaeus is as a person. He would just have interest in stopping him from doing the act. Which is why the right. greeters at the front door are, are important. so important. Yeah. Yes, and we've we've made it all the way back to the beginning. But that's the reason why, though. Like, 
it's so important to have someone smiling on the outside <clears throat> or who invites you, um, even if they know your story, to come to church with them uh, because that pulls down some of those those walls of perceived judgment is that you can actually have an encounter with the truth. Having an encounter with the truth and realizing that you need to change, I don't think is judgment. I think judgment has a, a bad connotation with it. And so like, I wouldn't call that necessarily judgment. It could be conviction. Um, so are you, separating, are you separating judgment from condemnation in your mind? Like, so when I think about no, judgment, what I think about is discernment in some sense. Like no, it's, no, 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 like I'm, I'm saying condemnation and judgment to me are basically the same thing. Like it, from a perception of people who, who do not understand on the outside, like you're saying, like to, to go along with what Romans 8, one says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like, I think that even the people who are coming into church, yeah, they're technically not in Christ Jesus. They haven't they haven't come to know who Jesus is yet, but I still think there is conviction by the word of God and conviction by the Holy Spirit and not this like condemnation from Jesus until it's until it's hell. Like, you know, until you're you're die you've died. Like that's right. when condemnation comes for you. You don't condemnation doesn't come here on this earth. Like it shouldn't. Um, at least from the Spirit of God. That's yeah. conviction. The condemnation Pharisees only condemned people, though. You would agree. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's but that's what I'm saying. Not from God. Like yeah. it's not from the Holy Spirit. Like the Spirit of God is not condemning anyone right now. When you die and you maybe have not made a choice to uh, be in Christ Jesus, then yes, there is condemnation for you. Um, but I don't think, and this is why, why I said I wish that we would get rid of this. Uh, that that this would be a, this would be a problem that needs to be eradicated. Is that there is. Pharisees, um, there are Pharisees within our churches. And we might even be one, you might be one, I might be one at times, because we choose to take on the condemnation uh, that is God's to have at eternity, we take it on right now. Yeah. And that's the biggest problem. And so, yes, it's a delusion, but it also is a reality, because there are people within our churches who take it upon themselves to condemn those who come in. Whether they, yes. whether yeah. they know mm -hmm. it or not, they sometimes do it I sometimes do it subconsciously even. And that's why it's so important to have the relationship that opens the doors for you to show that, hey, I have no stones to throw at you. Like um, I went to a, a men's retreat one time that like we shared a lot of stuff like that we we're going through and we were able to actually share like the darkest of moments in our life. And what we were told to do is to, when someone says something, don't say, oh yeah, I had, I've done that too. Or I've had a story like that. Or, oh, that reminds me of what we were supposed to do is literally just throw our hands up. And that was to show that we have no stones to throw. Like we're the same, we're in the same boat. I don't have anything to throw at you. You don't have anything to throw at me. We're in the same boat. We all need Jesus and we all need to pursue him together. And I think that like, that was the first time I think that I've ever been in a church setting that really that was true where like, I'm not gonna look at you a different way and you're not gonna look at me a different way and my jaw's not gonna drop when you say this massive bomb that, yeah. that, is, that, you're, that you're dealing with in your life. And I'm just gonna throw my hands and say, look, we're on the same, we're on the same page. Like we, we both need Jesus. And I think if we could come to that place on a more massive scale, um, week in and week out, that would be great. And let me say this just to close us out, um, is that this is why we said relationship is so important. And this is why if you're listening to this and you go to United or more importantly, you have a local church, um, you have a home church that you go to, this is why it's so important for you 
to be salt and light in the world. This is why it's so important for you and your friend group to make sure that you open doors, that you are not judgmental, that you are not um, condemning in any way. And if you don't know if you are, then ask God to reveal that to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to be uh, gentle and to be compassionate and to be kind and to be loving. Um, And all of those things can still uh, challenge people It doesn't mean love them in such a fluffy way that you let them do whatever the heck they want to do and laugh all the way to hell. Like, that's not what we're saying or what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like, love them in a way that Jesus loves other people, that you are so invested in them and and so compassionate and kind with them that they can't help but see the word of God in you. They can't help but see the truth in you. And they either they will have the opportunity to either change or to not change to tra- be transformed and to meet Jesus or to not meet Jesus by the way that you treat them by the way that you uh, act around them by the way that you love them really you don't have to be perfect mm-hmm. but it is living out the word of God in every circle that you're in yeah so you can love just make sure I understand what you're saying properly for the listeners you can love people well and you can love them without making comment on their the position of them of their holiness for instance um you can you can set that aside with an individual as long as you have an authoritarian grip on the word of god insofar as i'm going to teach it line by line verse by verse i'm not changing any of it even if i'm even if the person listening to it is struggling with the sin, even if I'm struggling with the sin that I'm about to preach about, that I'm about to teach about, that's not changing. And then what that does is my commitment to teach it faithfully will will um, extend the office of conviction and judgment to the spirit of God, mm-hmm. who is, who should have that office. Yeah, to be that's, it up to yeah that's the point, because I think you were almost coming at it from like the humans judging other humans and no human can ever do that perfectly. You know what I mean? Right. Like there's always yeah, something that we don't know. There's mm-hmm. always some personal motive behind why we're judging someone. So I don't think we can ever do that. That has yeah. to be put back on God every time. Yeah, we don't know the details of a person's heart condition or their situation exactly. or their circumstances or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not omniscient, so we can't render accurate, precise judgment. As right. much as we would yeah. like it, as much as we would like it to be, not everything is as black as as black and white as we would like it to be mm-hmm. as human beings. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, think that the only person who can who can determine that what is black and what is white is God himself. Yeah. And finding the right vehicle for carrying this out, I think is how you prevent people from corrupting the word of God in an effort to love other people. Yeah. You know, because if your choice is condemn everyone or change the word of God, then, and that's the choice that you see, then you're going to want to change the word of God. Yeah. And, but that's, there's a third option on offer, which I hopefully we, stumbled into <laughs> through this podcast. Yeah, here we go. I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up Face for you. planted into it. Know the word of God really, really well. And love people. And love people with that knowledge. And you will probably be okay. Is there anything you would like our happy listeners to know about The happiest United? of listeners. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're meeting again uh, September 24th. So if you're listening to this before then, then September 24th, Sunday night, 627 at 2707. If you're listening Pike. after, sorry, you missed yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> if you listen after, you have to wait till the fourth Sunday of October, which I think is the 29th, so, or the 22nd. I don't know. It's one of those. So, um, yeah, come and be a part of that. Also, if you're not a part of a small group yet, then you need to find a small group. It's at unitediup.com slash groups. 
unitediup.com slash groups, and you can go sign up for a number of small groups so you can continue this conversation about Jesus is um, with your group. All right. Bye, everybody. See you.